I spoke on chapter 28 this morning, um, and what I just want to, what I want us to set our minds on tonight as we go through these next three chapters, 26, 27, and 28, is to trust the Lord no matter what. Sometimes we do things that cause chaos in our life, and the Lord can still work through that. Sometimes chaos comes to our front step unannounced, unprovoked, certainly uninvited, and the Lord still works through that. And so tonight, through the chaos, through the good things, through all of it, uh, we're still walking faithfully with the Lord. So beginning with what we saw last week was the birth of Isaac and Rebekah's twin sons, Jacob and Esau, and they are two brothers that do not get along. If anybody can relate to that, you're in good company. So now there was a famine, chapter 26. There was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. So right, immediately right here, there's a, there's a famine. This is another famine. Chapter 12, there was a famine that caused Abraham. Remember, Abraham was told by, by the Lord, leave the land of your father, the land, the land, your, your father's household, your country, your kinsmen, and go to a land that I will show you. And almost immediately, there's a famine, and he diverts south into Egypt. And it's typically not a good it's not a good thing in the biblical imagery when somebody goes south into Egypt. And there was, a, there was a lot of people who argued that him going down into Egypt in and of itself was sin. He got to Egypt and he sold his wife over to the Egyptians. They said, hey, she's pretty good looking. He's like, hey, take her. She's just my sister. It's all good. He put her in harm's way to save his own skin. And that certainly was a misstep. That certainly was, was bad on Abe. But even going down into Egypt itself, not trusting the Lord's provision. There was a famine, and instead of trusting the Lord, who had just told him, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a nation, kings are going to come from you, he gets nervous, he lets his fear override his faith, and he goes down into Egypt, and here there is a famine, and Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go to Egypt, but dwell in the land, dwell in the land that I will, that I will tell you. These, these, kinds of, these kinds of troubles, the kind of things that turn up in life whenever you're walking with the Lord and you might think to yourself, I'm walking with the Lord. These sorts of things shouldn't happen to me. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I, I do my best to, to adhere to some, like I, I'm trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. I shouldn't get sick. My family shouldn't, somebody in my family shouldn't get cancer. That car accident shouldn't have happened. That, that, that bad business deal that, make me go, that made me go bankrupt. These are the sort of dry wells, the sort of famines that can show up in our life. And they're always an opportunity to faithfully, faithfully trust the Lord and, and follow what he is doing. And, and, and in following Jesus, be aware of how, what, what, can, what, can I, what can I do? If something happens, what can I do to follow the Lord but actually play a part in this grand narrative that the Lord is spinning out. And sometimes he just, sometimes he tells us explicitly what to do, and sometimes he tells us explicitly what not to do. Do not go down to Egypt. That is the, that's the rule. There's going to be a famine. Don't take the easy way out. Don't go to Egypt. Instead, trust in the Lord and trust his provision. Verse 3, sojourn in the land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your offspring all of these lands, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Don't get scared. There's a famine, but don't get scared and try to take matters into your own hands and try to, th try to do what you think is easy, expedient, and effective. Judas did what was easy and expedient and effective. What Judas did is assess the situation, and in his own logic and in his own mind, he thought the right thing to do was, well, because Jesus in his mind was failing and his political aspirations were tanked, his military aspirations were a joke, he's a wanted outlaw, so the best thing for me to do, the most expedient, wise, effective thing for me to do, the most self-serving thing for me to do is to trade Jesus over to the authorities who are going to end up catching him at some point anyways and get paid in the process. That's what Judas did. And the Lord is telling Isaac, do not, do not take the easy way out. Trust me. 
And I, and, I, and I know that that's easier said than done. But the Lord is saying, do not do, not, do not do the easy thing that's going to cause so much trouble down the road. Before I was walking with the Lord, I remember this, there was this lyric that used to haunt me. There's this band that was really popular in the early 2000s, and they had a line in one of the songs. And the band, I, I, I think... I think the whole band were kids that grew up in the church and then had sort of left the church whenever they, no doubt, you know, when they got away from home and then whenever they started to get famous with their rock music, they, they you know, they forgot about the gospel, they forgot about Jesus. But I think that, I think the seeds of the gospel that were planted and I think that, I think that God the Spirit was, was bugging these guys throughout their musical career. And they have this, this, this line in one of their songs. It's this, you know, it's this guy in his early 20s. He's full of testosterone. He's single. He wants to have a girlfriend, but get in a fight at the same time. And he's like, he's putting all of this angst into, all of this angst and edginess into his music. And there's this line that he wrote in a song. He said, you could sin or you could spend the night alone. And that, that's the choice. And it's really, a, it's really, a, power, it's really a, a powerful moment in the song because what he's saying is he's, 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 he's dredging up all this stuff from his past and he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm alone, it's two o'clock in the morning and I could do things to make the night pass easier. But it would be sin. And we could guess what those things are. So you can sin or you can spend the night alone and I am convicted <laughs> to spend the night alone. It's harder, it is lonely, it is, the, it, is the, it is the narrow path, it is the tough road, it is an uphill battle, but to grab a hold of something that helps the hours pass away, that helps your appetites be assuaged, if, if it's sin, you need to spend the night alone. And so in, in this particular context and situation, the Lord is telling, telling Isaac, spend the night alone. Don't go into Egypt. Don't try to fix this yourself. Here is an opportunity for you to trust me in a situation that is uncomfortable. It's, and and, and see, see, how, see how that pans out. And the Lord always, always comes through. So in, all your, in, in your offspring and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is, that is copy and paste chapter 12. The blessings of Abraham have gone through, have, have gone now, been passed on to Isaac. Because, verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And I love, I love this, I love this verse 5. My, he has obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Because this is pre-Leviticus. There wasn't the written law yet. So the charge, the commandments, the statutes, and the laws are like Noah. They're written on Abraham's heart. It's the kind of person that he is. And fail as he may, he has the Lord's law written on his heart, and he is faithful to the Lord through, through good and bad, through failure and accomplishment. So verse 6, Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, we know how this is going to go. This is the third time this has happened. He said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. How could you say to me that she is your sister? And Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her, and Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, I am, I am all for av avoiding the, the, what, the temptation or the, the penchant to be being lewd or, or crude or inappropriate, um, at least when I'm up here. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but the, the, I have the English Standard Version up here, and the English Standard Version is trying to take something that's PG-13 and turn it into a G rating. Abimelech looks out the window, and, and the ESV says, saw Isaac laughing with his wife, with Rebecca, his wife. Um, that's, that's fine, and it's cute, but 
siblings laugh with each other. There's nothing weird about that. Uh, this, is, this is an attempt to clean up something that's a little bit more risque. The, the word here is actually, the, some translations say showing endearment. Uh, one of the translations says that Isaac was sporting with Rebecca, which is what you do, never, that's not, never mind, sorry. I see, that was close. Some of the translations say caressing, uh, but the, the point is that this is definitely at least flirting and actually might mean groping, that, that Abimelech looked out the window and he saw uh, Isaac groping his wife, which, you know, is more appropriate. Like, that's actually what was going on. And Abimelech was like, boy, this is not a brother-sister relationship. You lied to me. So Isaac and Rebekah were, were necking, so to speak. And so he says, what, have, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife. Now, again, in the Hebrew here, it actually seems to indicate that somebody tried. Not that it's a possibility that it could have happened, but that somebody did actually attempt to, quote, unquote, lay with Rebekah. This almost happened, this could have happened, and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech warned the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. <clears throat> you might remember from earlier in, the, in, in this book that uh, Abraham also had an interaction exactly like this with, uh, with Abimelech, and that this potentially could be the same Abimelech or it could be a different Abimelech because Abimelech is not actually a name but a title. We're going we're gonna to come, come back to this Abimelech question. But um, I, think, I think it could be the same Abimelech. He's just really old at this point. He's dealt with Abraham. He's now dealing with Isaac. And remember in chapter 20, Abraham does this to Abimelech. He says, she's my sister, when in fact she was his wife. And Abimelech took Sarah and the Lord visited him in Genesis chapter 20 and said, you are a dead man. The woman that you took is another man's wife. And Abimelech, you know, threw his hands up and said, I didn't, I didn't touch her, take your wife and go. So if this is the same Abimelech, you could understand that at this point he's ticked. He's tired of, he's tired of this happening. Take your wife and leave. And anybody who touches him, anybody who hurts him or touches her is a dead man. And so, verse 12, there's been a famine there's been another incident with the wife-sister swap lie, giving over to fear, getting Abimelech nearly in trouble, and Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Unbelievable. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. So it starts with a famine, and it ends, don't, don't go into Egypt, don't take matters into your own hand, trust the Lord, and the Lord blesses Isaac's socks off, even, even after doing the same silly thing that his dad did. The Lord, the Lord is faithful, he provides a bounty, Isaac does not go into Egypt, and yet he flourishes. And so verse 15, the, he flourishes so much Verse 15, the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac is following, following the Lord. He's blessed in the land. And he's so blessed that the people come to him and they say, you're too big for us. Get out of here. You're mightier than we are. And this is pretty fascinating. This, this comes up again later in the Bible. And maybe, maybe some of you are thinking of this. This rings a bell. In the future, Joseph will be handed over to slavery. He'll wind up in a prison in Egypt. He'll be brought to, this, to second in command of Pharaoh. And he will, with the Lord's guidance, in the Lord's giftings, he will, he will save up seven years of bounty so that during seven years of famine, he's keeping people alive. He feeds the nations. Well, the 11 brothers that sold him into slavery show up one day looking for some bread. And Joseph is like, game on, game on. I'm, you're you're going to get yours now. And he messes, them. he messes with them a little bit. But, but he, he reunites with his brothers, and the, the Jews flourish in the land. So much so that here's what we read in Exodus in Exodus chapter 1, 
They get so big that it's what leads them, it actually is what leads them into being enslaved. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and they are too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And here is a little preview of that right here. Abimelech shows up and he says, go away from us. You are much mightier than we. And it's interesting, and I think that this says something about Isaac's character, flawed as he may be. He's mightier than them. And he could have said, no, this is my house. I'm bigger than you. I'm badder than you. I got more weapons. I got more muscle. I got more men. Sorry, I'm here, you snooze, you lose. But that's not what he does, he, 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 he kindly leaves. He does as they ask. And so verse 17, Isaac departed from there and he encamped in the valley of Gerar and he settled. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the day of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them names that his father, he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a, a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. And so he came, so the name of the well became Essek, because they contended with him. And the word Essek means contention. And then they dug another well, and they quarreled also over that one. So they called its name Sitna. And the word Sitna means enemies. And so he moved from there, and he dug another well, and they did not quarrel over this one. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, from, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. The word Rehoboth means broad places. There's plenty of room. And I see, I see here, we, we talked about this a little bit, a little bit last week, when the, when the servant of, of Isaac goes to seek, or excuse me, the servant of Abraham goes to seek a wife for Isaac, he is sent 550 miles from home. And he's told, you know, go, go get a wife for my son. Um, if no one's going to come back with you, if you find a young lady and she doesn't want to return with you, then, hey, you're free from the oath. Like, there's a lot of mystery there. And Abraham's, Abraham's servant goes dutifully, faithfully, trustingly, obediently, uh, but kind of knowing, like, this, this may not work out. And remember what, what he says whenever he finds Rebecca, and he says that prayer. He's like, Lord, the woman who offers me water and then feeds the camels, let her be the one. And while he was still speaking, Rebecca shows up, and it happens exactly as he asked. And he didn't get cocky. He didn't gloat. He didn't pat himself on the back. He worshiped. And what he said was, the Lord has led me in the way. And I made note that, that as Christians, oftentimes there's, there's something that we might want to do, and we're too scared to go for it. One of my, boy, I almost, one of my really good friends, really, 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 really close friend of mine was, you know, pushing like, he was, he was 37, and then he was 38, and then he was 39, and he was single, and he wasn't really happy about it, but the dude never asked a girl out, ever. I, that's a lie. One time, one time in the 10 years that we were close, and me and the other guys were like, you know, dude, <laughs> like, you've got, like, you're gonna, like, you got, you're gonna pray for a wife, and you're gonna fold your arms, and then sit back, and like, like, listen, you gotta be respectful, and there's wisdom, and I, and I but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go meet people, and, uh, you know, he didn't, and this is the sort of thing that I'm talking about, I mean, if, if you, you get someplace, you try a thing, you're doing something, you dig a well, and somebody in town is like, nah, get out of here, dig another well, Try it. You know, a really good example of this that's, you know, got a little bit more foundation to it than my buddy who couldn't find a girlfriend was, is Skate Church. Skate Church was a faithful ministry in the same place, the same time of year, the same time of day for over 30 years, and all of these things happened that were way out of their control. They had no, there's nothing that they could do about it, and they had to move. And then an opportunity would open up, and it would look really optimistic and really hopeful, and then it wouldn't work. And then another one opened up, 
and it wouldn't work. And digging well after well after well, it didn't work. But I love this. The Lord has led me in the way. And the guys who run Skate Church got this awesome property on 162nd and Stark. They've already had a few skate sessions there. They're in the process of building an actual facility to put the skate park inside. It's just a testimony of that, that well didn't work out. Don't give up. Don't quit. In wisdom, in counsel, in prayer. You know, maybe the Lord is closing the door. Maybe he's not. Maybe sometimes the right thing to do is to try to dig another well. And, and, and sometimes it's easy to just give up and say, well, the Lord didn't bless it, so it's not going to happen. You know, maybe, but also maybe try again. So anyhow, they dug some wells. Rehoboth, its name was Rehoboth, which means broad places. For the Lord has now made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Verse 23, and from there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him in the night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And I will bless you and I will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there upon the name of the Lord and he pitched a tent and there Isaac's servants dug a well. He built an altar. We see Abraham building an altar and worshiping. We see Abraham's servant when he went to go get, whenever he went to go meet Rebekah, worshiping the Lord again and again, being successful in his mission, not gloating, not bragging, but worshiping. And here, Isaac has been blessed. He's made some mistakes. But here we see him bowing his head, building an altar, and worshiping. That is always the response whenever the Lord blesses us, even just for the, the air in our lungs. And so verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with, with uh, Ahuzath, his advisor, and Picol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to see me, seeing that you hated me and have sent me away from you? And they said, well, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And so we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. And so he made a feast and they ate and they drank and in the morning they rose, they rose early and they exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. And the same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and they said to him, we have found water and they, we have found water. He called it Sheba. And it has been called, the city has been called Beersheba to this day. Beersheba means well of the oath. So going back just, just a little bit here, verse, verse 26, it says that Abimelech comes back and with him is Ahuzath, his advisor, and, and Fikol, the commander of his army. That's the same names in chapter 20. Abimelech and Fikol, the commander of his army. That's, I, I'm kind of thinking that these are the same people, and they're just real old, and and still and still killing it out there. So that's just that's just a note, just just for fun. And so the city of the name the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Verse thirty four. Now Esau was the son of forty years. Remember that the son of forty years. He was forty years old, and he took Judith, the daughter of Bari the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac. And for Rebecca, this uh, this note that um, can sometimes be common even in our day and age. Mom and dad are not stoked about their son's choice of of spouse uh, because they're Hittites. Sort of sets the scene up for why what is about to happen happens. Rebecca, mom, has a she's got a chip on her shoulder. She's got a grudge. And she's going to use cunning and some, some savvy and a lot of hard work and a lot of quick thinking to, to dupe her son Esau, who's got these two Hittite wives. And so chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. So now Isaac is described as old. In, in chapter 25, we read that he was 40 when he got married. He was 60 when the twins were born, and now his twins are adult men. We don't know exactly how old he is at the moment, but he is what is called old, and his eyes are dim so that he could not see. 
And he called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, my son, and he answered him and said, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. (laughs) I can't wait to say that one day. Behold, I am old. Come on, pops, just like, come on, just do some pull-ups, do some sit-ups, do some do some push-ups. I try some shut-ups. Behold, I am old. You guys ever watch Sanford and Son? <laughs> Come on, Pop, we've got to get you in shape. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Now, just, just wait, just wait a second. Wait a second. Hunt game for me. Remember Esau, the hunter he, he quarters animals, he's a man of the land, he's good with weapons, he's, he's skilled in the field, he's a man's man, he's very hairy, and, and he is completely a slave to his appetites. It's not a good thing. He comes in from the hunt, Jacob is there cooking a vegetarian stew, it still makes me mad, and this, like, this, this, this big, bulky carnivore is like, I will... Give, give me some of that. He says, give me that red stuff. Yes, that red stuff. He doesn't know what it is. And Jacob says, give me your birthright. And he says, like, I'm going to die. What good is a birthright to me anyways? Give me that. And it was lentil soup. Vegetarian. Disappointing. Disappointing, Esau. But here, his, his dad is the same way. He is, he is a, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a strong appetite, and he is not thinking straight because his appetite is getting in the way. And, and it is true that being guided by our physical appetites usually leads to disaster. I, I, was, I was speaking this morning about, about how Lot's wife turned and looked longingly at Sodom as it was destroyed. And that as Christians, we can really want to hold on to whatever it is that the Lord has taken away from us. He pulls us out of lifestyles. He pulls us out of addictions. Maybe he pulls us out of relationships. And they're, they're not always, but there can be oftentimes this desire to go, you know, to go back to the good old days, to go back to whenever, you know, when I was 23 and I could just kind of date around and I could drink and I could smoke and nobody was really, it didn't really bother anybody. I mean, this was, this was the stuff that bothered me. I remember for years sitting with Paul Anderson at Bipartisan Cafe and he was trying to get me to quit drinking and he was trying to get me to get serious about the Lord and to go to church and start reading my Bible and I was like, why? Why? This is like too good. I don't want to let go of this. I had appetites. I had appetites that, I, that were getting in the way. They were sinful appetites, and I didn't want to give them up, and I was making really foolish decisions because of my appetites. And I used to, I, when I lived in North, well, I live in North, Northeast now, but I used to live in Northeast at a different place, and I would frequent Alberta Street from 33rd to the I-5, and I mean, Barmuda Triangle, like it is a little tiny city of Corinth right there from 33rd to the freeway. You could do anything that you want in the dark and no one's going to know. And if they do, they're not going to tell. And I honestly, when I, when I became a Christian and started walking with the Lord, I didn't go to Alberta Street for like five years because the sights, the sounds, the smells would, would trigger my appetites and I just couldn't, I just couldn't go. I used to say there's demons on Alberta that know my name. And I don't know if that's actually true. But, but it was real easy for me to, to stop thinking because I would be guided by my appetites. And the Bible says flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. I can hang out on Alberta now and it's okay because my wife's got me on a short leash. So it's all good. Lord, it is the woman that you gave me. Praise God. So go hunt me some game. Get me some of the food that I love and prepare for me this delicious, this, this delicious food. Bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Before I die, he's old. He says, the day of my death I do not know. Let me bless you before I die. The thing is, uh, Jacob's about to have to skip town, and he's gone for a few decades, and when he comes back, uh, Isaac is still alive. Um, so he, he feels like he could die at any moment, um, but he also might be trying to get Esau the blessing real quick, because the declaration was made, the older shall serve the younger. There's a lot of Bible commentators and theologians who think that what he's doing here is he's saying, we gotta do this quick. Before, before, the, before, the, before you serve your younger brother, let's get you the blessing. I'm not going to be dead for quite a while, but I'm old and blind and I'm going to die soon. So that there's some, 
there's some, some overdramatic, let's hurry up and get this done going on here. Now, Rebecca was listening, verse five, and when Isaac spoke to her son Esau, and when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game to bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. This is, this is wild. So, so the family's in a bit of a tight spot. There's some backstabbing going on. And Jacob is given counsel and it's bad counsel. It's bad counsel. In the abundance of counsel, there is safety, the Bible says, but we have to make sure that the people that we get counsel from are wise people. The people that, people that are, are following the Lord wanna do what is honorable, wanna do what is right, not always what is expedient, quick, easy, and sinful, but what is the right thing to do. Rebecca just all of a sudden flips. It's like, she just, like she's Pablo Escobar's wife. She just gets down and dirty, and she delivers a shiv. Like she's, she's, she's committing mutiny against her oldest, her oldest son, and, and Jacob goes, goes right along with it. And this is, this, is, this is wild. So go get two young goats that I might prepare them and make delicious food. Jacob is in the very process of deceiving his father with the killing of, go- of, a, of a goat. Jacob, when he's an old man, will have 12 sons. One of those sons he's going to like more than every other son, Joseph. And the other 11 brothers are going to catch on to this. This is Genesis chapter 37. And so the brothers get together and they say, let us convince our father that his youngest son is dead. And they kill a goat. And they put the blood on his garment and deliver it to Jacob, who deceives with goats. And they say, your youngest son is dead. We have found his cloak. It's covered in blood. And so Jacob is deceived with the blood of a goat but not before he deceives his father and his brother with the blood of a goat. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Get me two young goats that I may prepare delicious food for your father such as he loves. Verse 10, and shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is hairy. He is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Hashtag Christian t-shirts right there door of hope. I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Does, does, Jacob, really, does Jacob really think that he's not mocking? He says, he says my father may, may, I shall seem to be mocking him. I don't think he's that obtuse. Of course, you are mocking him. You're deceiving your dad right now, this in real time. But this is what he's concerned about, and this, is just, this just speaks to the human heart right here. He's not worried about doing something wrong. He's not worried about being deceptive. He's worried about getting caught. He's worried about what happens if it doesn't go according to plan. Have you ever done something before and gotten away with it, and it feels kind of good? And then you realize, like, oh, you know what? I, I don't stick to the script as much as I thought. I can get away with it. Uh, he's afraid of the consequence. It will seem to, to him that I'm mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let the curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and now go, bring them to me. Verse 14, and so he went and he took them and, they, and he brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garment of Esau, her older son, the dead goat, the garment, the imagery continues. The best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goat she put on his hands on the, and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Just rapid fire. She did this, and she did this, and she did this, and she did this, and she did this. She's planning. She's prepared. She's executing this plan with diligence and with thought. And it's kind of amazing to me how focused she is 
to deceive. How diligent she is, how hardworking she is, how energized, fastidious, and quick, quick thinking and quick acting to, to bring about deception. And it, 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 has, it has dawned on me in the past that I can be given over much more easily to hard work if it's something that is selfish and sinful than I am to hard work in the ministry or hard, hard work in, in, in some facet of my life that is good and perfect and pleasing. And I, and I put a lot of really diligent hard work into something that is at best kind of silly or at worst just flat out wrong and sinful. This, this was the first thing that came into my mind when I was thinking about this. This is so silly, but it speaks to my early 20s. I remember I used to go to the grocery store and without even looking, I would get a half rack of Coors Light. I would get some of this double, I would get 12 of these double IPAs. I would get a fifth of Jack Daniels. It just ring up my bank account. Didn't even think about it. And then I get to the produce section and I was like, 88 cents a pound for bananas? That's outrageous. Nobody pays for that. I was all twisted up. I was diligent in the bad, but when it came to the good, all of a sudden I became very frugal and a bit of a tightwad. And I never even noticed it. I, it, was, it wasn't until I was married that I was like, you know, and I hadn't had a, had a drink in a few years, and I was like, oh, you know, I am such a bonehead. Such a bonehead. Is that my little girl? She's like, my dad is a bonehead. All right, it's getting late, Dad. Hurry up. Okay, so she's very diligent to deceive. She's working real hard at it. Uh, where was I? So, behold, <laughs> my brother is a hairy man. So she puts goat, she puts goat fur on his hands and on the, on, on the soft part of his neck, which just, like, this doesn't have anything to do with, really with theology or anything biblical, but I have to wonder how hairy Esau was. Have you ever petted a goat? If Esau felt like a goat, my man... I ain't got nothing, you know what, the seat is yours. I don't even have anything to say to that. It's hard to render me speechless, but that's just, that's dope. That's dope. I used to live with, never mind. Perhaps, perhaps my father will, will feel me, and it shall seem that I am mocking him. Let the curse be on me. And so she went, he went and he brought uh, uh, them to his mother, and his mother prepared the delicious food. Took the best garments, put it on him. Uh, and she put the delicious food in the bread which she had prepared and gave it to her son, Jacob. And so he went in to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. And he said, who are you, my son? He said, Jacob. I am, he said, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to my son, uh, how, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God has granted me success. You've got, you've got to go out. You've got to find it. You've got to kill it. You've got to drag it back home. You've got to quarter it. You've got to skin it. You've got to get rid of the entrails. You've got to cook it. Uh, this, this, he's, he's not buying it. And this, this emphasizes the deception that is being played out here. This didn't happen easily. Jacob has to lie, and then he has to lie, and then he has to lie, and then he has to lie, because every step of the way, his dad is skeptical about what's going on here. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may feel you and know for sure whether you really are Esau, my son, or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but these goat hands are the hands of Esau. And he, but, and, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son? Are you Esau? He answered, I am. He said, well, okay, bring it, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father said to Isaac, come near and kiss me my son, so that, so he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Rebekah thought of everything. Jacob didn't really pass the, the sound test, but he passed the feel test and he passed the smell test. Rebekah was thorough. She was, she, she knew what she was doing. And so Isaac says, see the smell of my son. It is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of, the, and of the fatness of the earth, 
and plenty of grain and wine. And let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is, this is 12, chapter 12, verse 3. Again, the blessing is going from father to son to grandson. He's, he's blessing him with, verse 28, plenty of grain and wine. That's material blessing. And then in verse 29, he says, nations bow down to you. This is that kings will come forth from the line. So material blessing, favor, kings will come from, from you. And then the famous line, curse is everyone who curses you and blessed is everyone who blesses you. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. They just missed each other. And he also prepared delicious food, and he brought it to his father and said, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Isaac. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him? And yes, he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken your blessing away. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He has taken my birthright, and behold, he has now taken away my blessing. Um, the, the verbal blessing given to a son is, is a little bit multifaceted, and I honestly don't understand all of it. I think, I think to us modern Westerners, it seems kind of odd if you have two sons to speak a verbal blessing over one of them, and when you, when you think it's the other son, you're, he's speaking to Jacob, but he thinks he's speaking to Esau, but yet Jacob gets the blessing, and Isaac can't take it back. I mean, nowadays we'd be like, oh, never mind, I was talking to you. But, there, but there's, something, there's something here that I don't quite understand that's, that's happening, that he, he, he puts his hands on his son and he speaks this blessing over him, and like it or not, it is a word of affirmation, it is a word of blessing, it is specifically from the father to the son, and verbal as it may be, it, it, it sticks. It cannot be revoked, it cannot be taken back. And so he gives him this blessing, and, and there's certainly something here to be said for, for Jacob wanting this blessing. This sort of verbal affirmation is something that we need as human beings. We need this. We, we need people who, are, people who we admire to pull us aside and tell us that, that, that we're worthwhile, that we're valuable. We need this. And whenever this is given to Jacob, it, the same thing can't be given to Esau. And, and I will admit that there is, there is a level of this that's mysterious to me, and, and maybe tonight, whenever we go get fish and chips at the horse brass, you can explain it to me if you understand this better than I do. Uh, but I did a lot of reading on this blessing because it just seems so weird. Like, just say, Jacob, nice try. I was, that was for Esau, whether you like it or not. But that's not the way that this works. He says, the, Isaac says, and he will be blessed. I gave him the blessing, and, and, and he will be blessed. That's, this is the way that, it, that it's going to go down. And Esau says, yeah, he's taken my birthright, which, remember, isn't exactly true. Esau sold the birthright. It was a, it was a bum deal, but that one was kind of on Esau. And now, behold, he has also taken away my blessing. And so he says, then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all of his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and with wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but even one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. The older will serve the younger. 
But when, he, when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, these, these two brothers that were fighting in the womb and have been fighting their whole life and really are fighting now, uh, this is the, the fight is going to continue. And what, what, is, what is spoken over Esau in verse 40 is, by your sword you shall live. Esau will go and, and become the father of the Edomites in, in, in the south, at the, the southern, below, below the Dead Sea, and what's going to be called Edom, which is, is similar for the word red. That's why it's pointed out that Esau was red when he was born. And he's going to have, he's going to have plenty. Um, he's going to be, he's going to, to have a big family. He's going to have lots of stuff. He is going to be blessed, but he is not going to be the one through whom the promised line continues. It says when, when, you, when you grow restless or when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. So, so Esau will settle in Edom, and he will become his own people. He will have plenty of his own uh, and it's actually, it's actually spoken in, in Deuteronomy chapter 2. I'm just going to this, read this to you real quick. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, we, we read this, uh, starting in verse 3, this, 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 this truth that Esau is blessed, he is given stuff, he is given an inheritance, he does have something, and it, and it is his. It is rightfully his. In the wilderness wanderings, Deuteronomy records this. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. Not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Esau will be blessed. Esau and, and the family of Esau and the family of Isaac are always, or the family of Jacob are always going to be at enmity with one another. And there's actually, throughout history, good evidence that when, when Babylon overthrew Jerusalem in the 580s BC, that the Edomites were there helping, helping, helping Jerusalem fall, helping the Babylonians in their campaign against Jerusalem. In Psalms 137, we read these words, remember O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. Whenever you rebel, you will break his yoke off of your neck. There when, when Jerusalem was being besieged, the Edomites were present, yelling out, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. And so now Esau hated Jacob because of, the bless, because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And he said to himself, the day of mourning for my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. So therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him while your brother's fury turns away, and until your, brother, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send for you, and I will bring you from there. Why should I bereft, be bereft of both of you in one day? The son who receives the blessing is the son who becomes the man of the house. The man of the house is the one who takes care of mom and dad when they get old. What Rebecca was hoping for is that the son that she loved, remember we, we read last week that, that Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. She was hoping if we do this and we get the blessing, then you will be with me for the rest of my days. But, because she, but it was already declared that the, younger would, that the older would serve the younger. But she didn't trust, she didn't listen, she manipulated, she connived, she, she did, she lied to try to get Jacob this spot, and all it did is actually cause Jacob to have to flee. And she says, why should I be bereft of both of you in the same day? Now that might mean that Jacob and Esau are going to get in a fight and kill each other. And even though Jacob is a smooth man, <laughs> he seems to be pretty tough. Because we're going to read later on in, in chapter 32 that Jacob's going to wrestle with a guy. It's this God character, maybe a theophany, maybe a Christophany, someone from 
from heaven comes and wrestles with Jacob. And it's very mysterious, but Jacob is a pr- pretty good at ju- Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And this fight prevails through the night. And it says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Which, you know, this angel of the Lord is letting Jacob win. But still, Jacob's pretty tough. And so Jacob and Esau might get in a fight and potentially kill one another, but I think what's more, more likely is that Jacob has to leave because Esau wants him dead, and now Esau wants nothing to do with his mom, and his mom kind of doesn't really care. She loved Jacob. But now with this, now with this mutiny, Isaac, I, I, Esau is done, and that relationship is fractured, and Jacob has to leave town. And so he does. He leaves town. And so Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebekah is in despair. Her plan backfired. Jacob is not staying to be the man of the house, but is in fact leaving. And this is the last that we see of, of of Isaac and Rebekah. They probably never saw each other again. Excuse me, Jacob and Rebekah. They probably never saw each other again. He leaves town. And I just, I just wanna, I wanna make a note here and I'm gonna get through the next chapter a little more quickly. But I, I think that it's worth noting, it, it, it struck me as I was going through this, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ink given over to, to the preparation of Isaac coming there's a lot, he's, he's the promised one. He's the one that was given to, to Abraham and Sarah when they were well past the years of, of having babies. He was a miracle baby. And then the way, that, the way that, that Isaac and Rebecca met was pretty profound. There's, there's, there's a very long chapter given to Abraham going, sending his servant out to get Rebecca so that Isaac would have a wife. And it's sort of this miraculous match made in heaven story. You know, and you, you would think, like, what sort of profound, amazing impact are these two going to have? How many chapters are going to be given to their story? What kind of beauty, what kind of romance, what kind of awesome is going to come from this? I mean, look at how ordained it is. And really, besides the drama of Abimelech and the drama of the wells, there's not a whole lot given to Isaac and Rebecca. They're sort of peripheral. And this, this spoke to me because, especially when I was a younger man, and it, you know, it, has, it has not gone away completely, I was like, I'm going to make a splash in the world. I'm going to do something big. I'm going to be noteworthy. I'm going to make some footnote in history that's going to be Ian Cornell, this and that. I'm going to do something big. The Lord's got big plans for me, and I'm going to jump on board, and that's not even, that's not been remotely true. I am as, as mundane, humdrum, average Joe as you could get. And you know what? <laughs> Isaac and Rebecca, for all of, are you leaving? Okay. For Isaac and Rebecca, all of, all of the prep work, for all of the, the, the beauty of the match made in heaven and the intensity that's focused in on their, the beginnings of their relationship, they're sort of peripheral, you know? A whole lot more energy and attention is given to Jacob, as we'll see in the next few weeks. So they, they kind of, they, they fly up real big and, and, and then they, they kind of fade away and and. As I've gotten older, I have learned that that is life for most of us, you know. We have all these grand plans, we have all these big ideas, and then we sort of just like fade away into obscurity. You know, you turn the page, it's about Jacob, and nobody knows who you are anymore. And I, man, I am so thankful for the Lord that this is not the only life that we live, that, this, that the death that we experience here is the introduction to life eternal, where we will be with Jesus um, because if my ambition and goals to make it big, quote unquote big in the world, were what I was resting on, I failed miserably, miserably failed. Um, so it's just, it's just, it was noteworthy to me personally that there was all this attention, but in the end, Isaac and Rebecca sort of pitter-patter off into the shadows, and, and that's it. They don't make as big a splash as I would have expected, and much more attention is given to Jacob. So chapter 28, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan around the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your, as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. 
And so God Almighty, that is El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And then Isaac, Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paran Aram. That's, that's northwest Mesopotamia between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And he went to Laban the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. And now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that he blessed him and he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. And so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please his father, Esau went to the people of Ishmael and took as a wife, besides the wives that he already had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. That's a crazy name. Uh, what is, what's Esau doing here? It seems that, it seems that maybe he's, he might be trying to do something that pleases his parents. They didn't like his first two wives, and this whole family dynamic has just smashed everything to smithereens. And then he takes this wife um, to sort of appease them. But, but nobody, nobody really, really knows as, as far as I can tell. So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place. We talked about this this morning. I will, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just mention it again briefly. Notice, notice this. Verse 11, he came to a certain place. He stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. And he laid down in that place to sleep. This place is not given a name yet. And that's significant. That's significant. Because what we talked about in detail this morning and what I'll, what I'll, sort, of, what I'll sort of mention here tonight is that Jacob is, Jacob is where what I like to call the nowhere place. And this can happen in the Christian life. Something, something happens. Our, our, our current situation, be it good or bad, falls apart. Our future is completely unknown. And in the, in the process and in the life uh, of following the Lord diligently, we can, we can come to these places in our, in, in, in our, in our life where we're like, I, I, don't, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. Lord, where are, we, where are you leading me? Are you leading me at all? Jacob was in his tent playing phase 10 with his mom. Everything was cool. And his own sin and his own deception backfired and has had a ripple effect. So now he is in the middle of nowhere at a place that's called a place because it's insignificant. And it's, it's, so, it's, it's, it's so common for Christians to have this end goal. You know, whenever I, I remember, I remember for me when I was working in the glass shop, I really, really wanted to be a pastor. I really wanted to be a pastor. I really did. All cards on the table. I, I wanted this job. And I never thought I was going to get it. And I was a glass worker. And I remember hours, I mean, month after month after year after year of working in the glass industry, thinking like, this is, this is not where I want to be. This is no place. I don't like it here. I don't want to be here. This is stupid. My life will really kick off. The Lord will really start working when fill in the blank. And this is this place where Jacob is right now. He's on his way north. He's laying down in a place that's not given a name because it's, it's, it's a nowhere place. But as we're going to see, it's not really a nowhere place. It's very significant. Jacob just didn't realize it. And he's completely broke. He's completely broke. He manipulated to get the birth, to get the blessing. He, he kind of sort of manipulated and tricked his brother into selling him his birthright for some vegetarian soup, which would, it, which would bring with it half of his father's estate. And Isaac was very wealthy. Jacob comes from very wealthy parents. And he is here alone, sleeping on a rock. Cool. He came to a certain place. He stayed there. He slept on a rock. 
Verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood over it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you your offspring shall and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed behold i am with you and i will keep you wherever you go and i will bring you back to this land for i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised and jacob awoke from his sleep and he said surely the lord was in this place and i did not know it and he was afraid and he said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of god this is the gate of heaven so let me let me be clear the years that i spent in the glass company were not wasted that's just how it felt it's very much how it felt. I needed those years at the glass company. They were, they were a blessing. But the point stands, we can easily miss that because we're not where, quote unquote, we want to be. But it's right here in the nowhere place, right here in between point A and point B. No money, no friends, no family, alone, sleeping on a rock without a penny to his name, the skies break open. He goes to sleep. Notice he goes to sleep just like Abraham did in chapter 15. He sleeps and he sees the heavens open up and he sees a ladder. Now this, is, this, isn't, this isn't really, this isn't a ladder. We, we think of like an extension ladder. That's, that's not what, what's, what's being envisioned here. What is more likely is a Mesopotamian ziggurat, which is, imagine a, 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 a pyramid, like the pyramids in Egypt, but with a flat top and a staircase that goes all the way around it to the top. These were, these were common in Mesopotamia. It was a Mesopotamian temple, and it was used for religious practices. It was a temple where people would go, they would do religious ceremonies, and they would make sacrifices, and this is what Babel was supposed to be, a place that reached up to the heavens where men in their own effort can reach God, please God, make their own Eden, and make their own name last forever without God. This is what Babel was, attempt, was an attempt to be. But here, in Jacob's vision, we see the reverse of that. Jacob is not building a tower. Jacob is all alone. He has no friends, no family, no money. And this ziggurat, this ladder, this stairway is not going from earth to heaven. It's heaven coming down to earth. There's not people on the ziggurat. There's angels on the ziggurat. And in the New Testament, Jesus will pull from this, and he'll say, he'll say to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We do not earn our way or climb our way up a ziggurat or anything else to get to heaven, to get to God, to earn our way into his heaven. Jesus does it for us. He is the gateway of heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And it's in this very place of desolation and poverty that the sky breaks open and Jacob says, even, even here. And, and this was the point that I really dri was driving home this morning and maybe somebody here tonight wasn't here this morning, but, but the point was this. Do you feel like you're in a place that is God forsaken? I was listening to a, 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 a video clip of one of these very controversial uh, talking heads on the internet, you know how those guys are. And he was just sort of giving a teaser so that you would cue into his podcast and he was like, trouble with China and Taiwan, trouble with Ukraine and Russia, trouble with Israel and Palestine, things aren't looking good, things aren't looking good. There is, there is unrest in the world globally. There's unrest in our world here locally. And there very, there very well may be some real unrest for you personally. Do you feel like you're sleeping on a rock? Friends, what we're told here is even in this nowhere place, this insignificant place, God is there. He, Jacob says, God was here and I did not know it. Can I encourage you tonight, friends, that God is with you even if you feel like you're a foreigner in a weird place, and all you've got is a rock to sleep on. We've all been there. 
Some of us are there right now. The Lord is with you. He's for you. And everything that, that Jacob needs, the Lord says, I will give you. I will give you this land. I will give you offspring. And so Jacob wakes up. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, verse 18, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. The place that had no name actually does have a name. It was, it was Luz before that. But to Jacob, it did not have a name. It had no significance. It had no value. But he names it Bethel, which means the house of God. How awesome is this place? He names it Bethel. And then Jacob made a vow, verse 20. Now catch this. Catch this. Jacob has just had this sort of mountaintop experience. And now listen to what he says. Jacob made a vow saying, if... If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that, I, and of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. So the Lord shows up. Jacob is on the run. He's not pursuing the Lord. He's not seeking the Lord. And in his place of loneliness, desperation, solitude, and poverty, the Lord meets him. In his grace, the Lord meets him there. And Jacob's response is, okay, wow, this is pretty cool. But if you keep this up, then we'll see how this, this is a transactional relationship. If you hold up your end of the bargain, then I'll do my part. Friends, this is a poor reaction. But what's interesting here, and, and we'll continue Jacob's story next, next week. But what's interesting here, and I'll just close with these, with these last few verses. Everything that Jacob lists here, we're promised in Scripture. He says, if the Lord will be with me. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, I am with you always until the very end of the age. He says, and if he gives me bread to eat. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And Jacob said, if he gives me clothing to wear. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He will never leave us or forsake us, and we are given his righteousness as a garment. We are clothed in it, and he sustains us forever. We will never hunger for any other deity or any other thing, any other person than him. He is sufficient to sustain us for all of eternity. And then, and then he says, so that I will go to my father's house in peace. In John 14, 27, the last night that he was with his disciples before the cross, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Amen.